When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is the last Market Down Monday before the 2020 football season, which is actually going to make it the last Market Down Monday for a while. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. I'm here with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. We're just running out of Mondays. It's, it's time to move on to preparing for the season. And we're going to still do predictions during the season, but we're going to do them the way we've been doing them, the, the Cleveland.com way that you've been used to for years and years and years. So Mondays are going to move to a, a different format, but we wanted to finalize what uh, I think people have, have come to enjoy, this, this sort of tradition we've started here with the, the Market Down Monday. It was a great filler for the offseason. I thought we got to have some great arguments. I thought we got some great reader interaction over the months. And I look forward to doing this again next year. Did you guys – get a lot out of the first year of market now Monday. Good branding, good branding. I mean, people, people grabbed it and I think we could, you know, it's fun to predict stuff, but it's just that I, I think we're going to do, we're, we're going to predict things about the game to come on Saturday. Once we get into the season and we can't do that on a Monday, we're not going to have enough information. So we could have like talk it out Thursday or, or freak it up Friday. I don't know what would be, alliteration that would make sense for a picks kind of prediction kind of thing. But uh, I think marking it down, I mean, it's good for us to force us to sort of, you know, really drill down on what we think about the team. So I think it's been really good. And I think the texters and the listeners have liked it. Yeah. We've talked a lot over the last six months. And so just to have one day where it's dedicated to actually saying something that we have to live by, I think is pretty quality content. For our sanity, it was nice to know what every Monday was going to be since we started doing these five yeah. days a week. But our readers, our listeners, our texters, uh, those of you, thanks you for all of your help. I've texted you sometimes very late in the process a couple of times to be like, hey, we need your help. Uh, th- throw some ideas at us for this topic. And uh, really appreciate, appreciate all you guys and gals coming through. And <laughs> other predictions people make now. When they're just saying stuff throughout the week to us on the text, they'll say, mark it down. So it's become like a little catchphrase for, for Buckeye Talk listeners. Whack it out Wednesday? I don't know. Mm. I'll, I'll keep spitballing. We'll, we'll, we'll get around to it. Yeah, I would definitely put that one back in the hopper. That one, that, that one needs some work. Uh, but for the final mark it down Monday, we 
we wanted to do again what's kind of a a, a Buckeye talk tradition, a Cleveland.com tradition. Um, and that is, I guess, it's more for the for the the videos that we've done over the years than the podcast. But uh, the outrageous predictions. This is something you guys see us do every year, uh, every week throughout the season. I think the two, what usually Friday mornings is outrageous predictions, and we give you um, just kind of our off the wall thing that we not completely off the wall though, not outrageous, still based in some kind of fact, but like almost like a hyperbolic fact. Like here's what you know. Um, J.K. Dobbins is going to run for a lot of yards uh, against Rutgers, but he's going to run for 400 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the the the, the biggest possible prediction for each thing. Um, and I we thought that would be a great way to just kind of cap off Market Down Monday for the 2020 preseason. So um, great texter responses here. It runs the gamut. Things about the Ohio State season. Things about individual players. Things about one game in particular. We got several responses about. I think you can all probably guessed as to what that response is going or what game that was but I wanted to start off with the thing that is still kind of hanging out there I thought we'd start here because people did have predictions specific to the COVID-19 situation um Big Ten season obviously hasn't started yet because of this it's not starting again until um October 24th first round of games Ohio State plays against Nebraska and you know we we've seen other teams around college football having some problems with this earlier tonight, Baylor's next game against the Oklahoma state has been postponed to December 12th because of COVID. Obviously the big Ten's playing back to back to back games. So there is a, isn't room for those sort of postponements when the big 10 starts, obviously the NFL is having a lot of problems with this. So here's some reader predictions. And then we're just going to, I figured we'll just each topic. I'll introduce it. We're going to get some texture responses and then we'll kind of talk about what we're seeing along those lines. And throughout this episode, when it comes time, we've each picked our one outrageous prediction. When it's time for our prediction to come up, we'll jump in and, and give it when it's based kind of around that same topic. So uh, from the 614, there'll be at least one game that will not be played due to COVID diagnoses. Um, and at least one NFL-bound Buckeye will test positive for COVID-19, during this COVID I should say, during the season. Uh, from the 704, a member of the staff at Ohio State contracts COVID-19 the week before the Michigan game, and the entire offense is forced into quarantine. The defense is forced to play both ways, and tough Borland is quarterback, leads Ohio State to victory. Okay, now we're getting a little bit out of hyperbole into to, to pure fantasy. Um, from, from the 858, a COVID breakout in the Bucks team two weeks before the end of the season. Rules say shut down for three weeks. Undefeated, but can't play the last two games. BCS says sorry, um, which is not the BCS anymore. It's the college football playoff, but uh, regardless. Uh, not enough games. Texas takes the four spot in the BC in the – CFP, I'll, I'll correct it for them. And again, I will say that's more fantasy than hyperbole at this point, the way Texas has played. And uh, from the 615, Ohio State becomes the first undefeated Power 5 team to miss the playoffs due to too many game cancellations. And I wanted to bring this up because I feel like it's a little bit unfortunate that it's natural, but I, I, it made me a little bit sad that we're giving people an opportunity to have like outrageous prediction. Like give us like what's your your fantasyful fantasyful prediction for this Ohio state season. And a lot of people are still coming back to this. It's like this, the COVID dread is really hard for people to avoid. And I don't know if that's just still lingering, if it's just pessimism from months of having to go through this, or if they're watching what's playing out and that's giving them even more pessimism that this might get pulled off. You know, I, I don't know that I would couch it as pessimism. I think I might couch it as reality. And I think that a lot of, in a lot of sports ways, we're living in a fantasy world right now. I am fascinated by the idea that like an NFL team has a couple tests and like they, they don't play, they shut it down. And every week it's like, 
uh, Team X announced just before game time that they'll be without 17 players today in college football. They just play. Like, it's not that the NFL – the NFL is having problems because when they have a couple people get it, they don't play. College football barrels through. The NFL, when a coach on the sideline doesn't wear a mask, they fine him. College football – the college football coaches are, like, wearing their masks as thongs. The college football – Lane Kiffin has his mask in his armpit. Jeremy Pruitt had a scarf around his head everywhere but his face. I am – the, the the thing that I think makes it – and the cases are going up nationwide. Yep. Cases are going up nationwide again because, again, like we, we decided that we were not going to be serious about it. And because it's a quite a foe, quite a foe COVID-19 is. Here's the thing that I think is going to make it the most difficult and why I think these kind of things are like very sm- smart and, and, and forward-thinking to think about. College football seems pretty blasé about this with the way – People behave. You look in the stands at games, and it's like they're not really social distancing at some of these games. They have people jammed together. I mean, it's like I retweeted a picture of like a Texas fan flipping off the camera while the other Texas fan was doing surrender surrender cobra after the game. They were standing right next to each other, and the girl flipping off the camera had her mask on her chin. You know, it's like there nobody is following the rules, and apparently there's no consequence from that. If the Big Ten is going to be serious about it and have serious consequences if you have positive tests, boy, it really could mess up the schedule. And it's not the way anybody wants to start this podcast. But the reason, and you just mentioned, mentioned Nathan, again, another Power 5 game, the Baylor game, Oklahoma State game, delayed. But the reason there haven't been more Power 5 games delayed is because they just power through. It's not because they're not having positive tests. Right. They just play through them. If the Big Ten is saying, we're not going to play through, then when you see the NFL having some positive tests, if they're going to be like a little more strict like the NFL is, and there's no wiggle room for delays because it's eight games in eight weeks, I think this is a very reasonable kind of prediction about Ohio State maybe not getting all eight games in. I think that is – I'm not going to – I don't want to obsess over it. I think we need to write about it and try to get our – our hands are around it one more time before the season starts, because I'm having a lot of trouble at the moment balancing what's happening in the NFL and what's happening in college football. That the NFL seems to be every time there's a couple tests, they, they push back college football powers through. Where is the big 10 going to fall in there? I don't think the big 10 is going to be as lax with playing with positives as many other teams have been so far. So I think it could be potentially very difficult. And I think if that's where your prediction led you, I don't think you're pessimistic. I think maybe you're realistic. And now let's get back to football. Woo, Justin Fields, 75 touchdown passes. Because, I mean, what else are we going to do? We're not going to cover the team every week. Like, well, if they play the game, I think they'll beat Penn State. Like, well, when it happens, it happens, and we'll cover the news. There's no reason to, like, predict it or constantly talk about it. But if you're a fan, I would have it in the back of my head for sure. Am I mistaken, or did did, did Dan Mullen talk about? But he was kind of vouching for having a full stadium next week because some of the laws that Florida's kind of opened up some things down there. So yeah, you, Doug, you actually are kind of um, teasing to my column that'll be out by the time people read this. But like my lead thing is going to be about sort of balancing the Big Ten, what's going on in the NFL, what's going on in college, and then now the Big Ten getting in the mix of that. 
And, um, you know, so yet Vanderbilt only had 56 scholarship players available yesterday, um, Saturday, I should say. Virginia played without seven players. Virginia Tech had 15 players missing. It didn't say whether they're all COVID, but their defensive coordinator came back for the first time all season. Uh, Missouri was missing seven players against LSU. Uh, Notre Dame, not that long ago, had 36 players unavailable. San Jose State just had to move its whole team to a different county to practice to get around the local regulate health regulations. So you're right. It's not that that in the NFL there's been like they'll, they'll get like one test and then I guess they have to wait and confirm that test so they know about the, the contact tracing. And I think that's maybe the question I have about the Big Ten is something like that something similar to that going to play out. But yeah, Stephen, to your to what you were just saying, yeah, um, Florida's governor they had, they had been limiting crowds to 20% of capacity. Texas A&M had I think at least 24,000. I think that was like the announced attendance at the Texas A&M game. Um, the people were speculating that might have actually been higher than that, but I don't know that. Uh, Texas A&M beats Florida. So after the game, Dan Mullen says, well, um, the governor just took off all the restrictions. So hopefully we have 90,000 people for the next game at the Swamp. We'll see. I mean, it's Florida. It would not surprise me at all if there were 90,000 people at the next game. I know the Miami Dolphins didn't take him up on that right they were still limiting their capacity at least for this for this Sunday's game I think I don't know what's gonna happen for the next one but are we sure that the Big Ten's gonna allow fans at some point if to so some of the things you just they said won't allow 90,000 or 24,000 or know. I'm saying fans I'm saying are we sure that the Big Ten won't just limit it to family all season because some of the stuff you just said Doug yeah that's they're they're paying attention to what everybody else is doing what if they just look at all of that and go, no, we're only letting parents in this year. That's it. I mean, and that's just, what they're doing now. We've, we've yeah. been assuming that they'll eventually relax that. But again, when, t- when cases around the country, Ohio's seven-day positive rate in the last seven days is the highest it's been in weeks, yeah. right? So, I mean, like when you have stuff like that, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's like everything with COVID. You, you think one thing and then a week later you think something different. I think they would like to get to it, but, but I think they will be much more strict than a lot of the other conferences are. So that's we're not going to talk all episode about that. I think that pretty much caps that. But we are going to still be, like you said, Doug, we're, there, there's more to be kind of written about that in terms of how it shapes what this season ultimately ends up being. Because I think it's it's very reasonable predict, predict that just because they have to play these games back to back to back, you're looking around the country, I, I, I would not take odds that the Big Ten can get through this thing unscathed. I think there's going to be some problem at some point with some team before this thing ends. But the Big Ten scenario is different than what some of the other conferences are doing, so maybe they can pull it off. Uh, but moving on to the, the Ohio State season in the greater season. Um, some other predictions here, and we were getting a lot of predictions that were along the same lines of Ohio State's going to win every game by three touchdowns. Ohio State's going to win every game by 21 or more points. Uh, but we did get some more pessimistic predictions here uh, from the 727. I know this is maybe a stretch, but I think we'll lose one of the first two games. I think Penn State could be difficult. Reading Steven's report on recruiting, I recall them getting some linebackers over us. I predict Micah Parsons' loss won't be as significant as we all think. I, it's a bit of a stretch, I suppose. Maybe a bit of a stretch, but, but certainly not a huge stretch. Um, from the 618, Ohio State will go 6-1 and one and will narrowly miss the playoffs. There will be one COVID outbreak causing a significant group of players to miss three games, two of which will be canceled, and the Buckeyes will lose the third. There's that theme again. Uh, playoff committee will debate a 6-1 and one Ohio State versus a 7-2 SEC non-champion. Mark it down. And for, for the really pessimistic among you from the 505, a rageous prediction, Buckeyes lose four regular season conference games. 
It begins with overconfidence. Beating Michigan is seen as a rite of passage. Making it to Indy is a foregone conclusion. Winning the conference title is a given. I think that might be more among media and the fans than it is among the team. This is me interjecting that. But um, to, to that, add a dash of defensive holes, concerns about depth at defensive tackle, no proven superstar at, at defensive end. I'm going to kind of skim through this. It's a little bit long. I top it off the unpredictability of a season played during a pandemic, starters missing multiple games, training schedules upended. Um, so losses, Nebraska, Penn State, Michigan, and Indiana is the predictions from, from this fan. So um, that is the greatest, yeah. greatest text in the history of the tech subscription because I officially – I'm off the hook. You're for no nine longer and three. Nine. You're no longer <laughs> yeah. nine and three, Doug. <laughs> now, although, now been... in, in their defense, or maybe in your persecution, uh, nine like and three was not it. your outrageous prediction. Nine and three was legitimately what you thought that season was going to be. This is out. This outrageous prediction is basically this team is going to fall off the face of the earth for the next three months. Did they say at the end of that prediction that Ryan Day would get fired? <laughs> We're going back to another conversation from eight months well. ago. You might as well close well, it out with that. They, they gave they gave legitimate reasons why they thought each and every one of those games was a, a problem for Ohio State. And um, I, I, if you told me they could lose maybe any one of those games, I could probably see it. Um, I'd be pretty shocked, obviously, if they lost half of their regular season games this year. So I, I don't know, Nathan, how much like the, the during the course of this podcast, you'll lead us into any discussion of like what happened over the weekend in college football. But I, I do, I ha, you know, it's like when you see Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin doing that to Alabama and Alabama's defense having all these problems, right? Although Alabama's offense looked awesome. Um, and, and you see again, like just, you know, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, just a mess in a, a million different ways. Again, I mean, I get it. You know, like I had sort of said, I think everybody will be a mess except the three best teams. And then Alabama got pushed to the wire. Clemson looked pretty good, actually. And I think we do need to re- revisit that a little bit. Notre Dame was pushed by Florida State for a while, but then ended up putting in like a really fast freshman running back. And he looked really good. They looked like a good team. So, you know, it's just one of those, again, I, I understand there's just enough going on and there's enough crazy stuff going on early in the season that I, I don't agree with it, but you certainly have enough evidence around the nation to have you think maybe Ohio State season is going to be a little wacky too. I, I, I think the, the Alabama Ole Miss situation, that could happen where a team just kind of pushes – Penn State just pushes Ohio State for a little bit, but eventually the more talented team pulls away the way Alabama did. I could see that scenario, but – no, I don't see a scenario where they're losing four games. That's, yeah, that's outrageous predictions to another level. But I could see the Alabama scenario. I will say that uh, now I, Alabama did not look good. I'm not defending the way Alabama played defense on Saturday. However, um, they did say after the game. I think Lane Kiffin might have joked about it, and then or an Alabama player said something about like I think they had our defensive signals, and then Nick Saban after the game said, "Yeah, that that happens sometimes when you have a former." assistant coaching the other team. So um, I don't think it doesn't explain completely all of the problems that Alabama had defensively that game, but it might be one reason why Ole Miss might be able to have more success against them than some other teams. But we'll find out a little bit more. They play Georgia on Saturday. That's going to be a pretty good game. You know, who's good though. Mac Jones. Yeah. Mac Jones is really good. I mean, that whole, that whole Alabama offense is really good. It's pretty pretty good. Really. If I'm Kerry Combs and, and the rest of that defensive staff, and I'm watching that Alabama game on Saturday, I got some stuff to figure out. Najee Harris is pretty good too, though. It helps. That whole offense is legit. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Clemson, Clemson looks like a legit kind of number one. They're, they're a little more balanced. They seem to have it. You know, I can't remember what we said last week about pretender or contender with Miami because I can't keep podcasts straight in my head. Clearly, we all said pretender. Clearly pretender. I mean, De'Eric King, just what he was trying to do. Now, North Carolina in the ACC may be more of a contender because Sam Sam Howell Howell looked looked legit again. And Sam Howell looked like at a different level of quarterback than De'Eric King, who who when I thought he got like an up-close look of of him against Clemson, I thought his throws were a little bit like lollipops a little bit, some of his deep throws. And like he he's a good player, but I I don't think he's really like a Heisman contender type of player. And I thought we saw – and it goes back to the discussion we had about the gap and which conference has the biggest gap. And I think that possibly the way Clemson handled Miami was maybe an argument that maybe the gap between Clemson and the rest of the ACC might be pretty big. But again, Notre Dame looked pretty good. North Carolina looked pretty good. So curious to see how that unfolds, but it's not Miami. Yeah, King, I mean, good athlete. But at the end, as we've seen with offenses over the last four or five years, if you're not a consistent vertical passing threat, a lot of that good athlete stuff doesn't matter. And that's why he got the 56-yard run. But after that, you know, the better quarterback won. And again, a great, you know, a program like Clemson that is recruiting even better. They've, they've got yeah. some guys in the secondary and some guys who popped a little bit. So, yeah. One last from our texters um, from the 330. Ohio State will open and end its regular season against Nebraska, which I thought was a really interesting prediction. And um, one that I also don't share because I'm, I'm still not convinced that Nebraska's back. There weren't a lot of other predictions as far as um, finishes in the Big Ten or who they'd be playing. I was, I was kind of looking forward to some some fun ones along those lines. But, Doug, you said your prediction – we're going to split these up throughout the, the episode. You said your prediction is, is more of a team prediction, so I wanted to let you put it in here before we start getting into some individual players. So when I do, when I do my outrageous predictions, I, l- I like to try to put a little research into it and try to, try to really get pretty specific about it. And so I will tell you this, and I'll tell you that my research is stealing research that somebody else did uh, last year because I was searching for this, and a kid named – not a kid, a guy named Zach Bogaki – for um, fan sided, did this story last year about teams that have scored, averaged 50 points per game as an offense in college football. It has not happened since 2013 when Baylor and Florida State both averaged more than 50 points per game. Among major programs, other programs that have done it, 2008 Oklahoma, that's Sam Bradford. 2005, Texas, Vince Young. Uh, One of the Tom Osborne National Championship teams, Nebraska in 1995. Nebraska also in 1983. When Nebraska did it in 1983, averaged 50 points per game. They were the first team to do it since Army in 1944. So last year, uh, LSU led the nation in scoring, and they averaged 48.4 points per game. And right now, so far this season, Alabama is averaging 51 points per game. Texas is averaging 49.5. So Alabama's over it right now. Uh, Ohio State set its school record for most points per game last year with 46.9. I just want to, I just want to real quick, Texas is averaging 49.5 points per game and has a losing record right now, right? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Welcome, Go back. Welcome Go back. to college football in 2020. <laughs> Go back. Continue. And I was going to give you the stat for your Monday column. I think it could be a Monday column at some point. By the way, of the, the, the 10 – of the top 10 defenses and fewest – who gave up the fewest points per game last year, the top 10 defenses in scoring last year, seven of those teams have not yet played this year. 
because four of them are in the Big Ten, two of them are in the Pac-12, and one's in the Mountain West. So everybody who's like, what happened to the defense in college football? They haven't started playing yet because you know who plays defense? The Big Ten. So if you're longing for defense, like it's coming, which is why this prediction is even more outrageous. So I'm going to say that Ohio State averages 50 points per game and becomes the first program to do it since Florida State and Baylor in 2013 and really smashes the school record that they set last year when they were third in the nation at 46.9, and that was a school record. I think they're going to have to put sort of the, 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 gas, the gas down, like you know, we sort of talked about the look test. I think their schedule's pretty easy. I think they'll keep guys in a little bit. I think defense is bad across the board right now. And so I don't know that, you know, the, you have one game where you score 23 and all of a sudden averaging 50 points a game is really hard because now you got to score 77 to even that out. I just think they'll score like 52, 55, 47, 60, 61, 48. Like I just think they'll be there against even the pretty good teams. And so my average prediction, Ohio State averages more than 50 points per game. Steven, you've been someone who has professed your faith in, in the kind of points that are going to be put up by this offense this year. Does that seem realistic to you, even considering a game like a, a Penn State game where you can score 28 points and have had a pretty good game of offense against Penn State? Um, still seem reasonable that they could get 50? Yeah. Average 50? I'm, yeah, and it kind of goes along with my – prediction is when we get to that later but yeah I, I think so they, they've talked about it Gene Smith has said it Justin Fields has said it I'm pretty sure Ryan Day has said it about keeping their got their foot on the pedal this entire so yeah I think they're going to be in some situations where they might run up the score a little bit to kind of help with the fact that if they only score 31 points against Penn State but if you score I don't know 80 points against Rutgers it kind of offsets that and keeps you on pace for that 50 points per game yeah I, I this this is Arguably going to be one of the best. It's going to be one of the best offenses in the country and arguably the best offense in the country when you look at what those wide receivers can do and what Justin Fields can do and depending on what the running back, what they're able to do on the field as well with that offensive line. So, yeah, it's not great. It's outrageous prediction, yes, but it's – I could see it happening. Doug, is it 50 points per game no matter how many games they play or just regular season? No, I think it'll have to be like when the stats show up at the end of the year. There are 50 there. So, that'll include every game. So, that – I mean, they're going to have to get up there. But also, frankly – what we saw on Saturday, if they play Alabama in the playoff, both teams might score fifty. So <laughs> well, that's happening right now. I mean, there have been some other big scores. Um, North Carolina that just jumped over Ohio State to go into the top five. They they had the score. They was like fifty something to forty something in their game on Saturday. Um, yeah, that, that's happening out there all over college football. And I think when you look at Rutgers, Maryland, Illinois, and Michigan State, those are kind of like I think name your score kind of games for Ohio State. I think they could, they could score sixty in those four games. And then all of a sudden now you only, you have to score only 40, you know, or you can throw in a, a 38 against Penn state and still get to your average. So that's why I think it's possible. I think the, the schedule is a big part of it, but the schedule and having to look good. And uh, I, I think it has a realistic chance to happen. And again, they, they weren't that far away last year, the 46.9 last year. So I guess now, the, also a bad schedule last year too. It was not a great schedule last year. And the 46.9 came with a defense that was, giving you the ball back a lot and quickly. And you were the, even when they had games where they didn't play their starters deep in the game, those guys got a lot of series, could put up a lot of yards, a lot of points. Does that give you any pause? As Does, the, does a defense have to be pretty good in order to put up 50 points a game? It had not given me any pause until you mentioned it, but I think it's a very good point. Yeah, when, when Chase Young is, you know, you're, you're, it's a quick three and out. 
right? Or a strip sack or that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, it gives you short fields, which helps, but it's about opportunity. It's one of those things, something like that, you know, okay, so if I'm wrong, they're going to average between 44 and 49 if I'm wrong. So it's not really about, it's almost like luck, right? To some degree, because it's not really indicative. It's like, oh, Doug's outrageous prediction is Ohio State's offense will be good. I mean, it's like, I'm just trying to put a number on the good. Um, but I think it could be a historic number, but they could be just as good as we all think and score 45.8 points per game. And really it's no different. I don't think the defense matters. I think it did last year when you were putting in the context why they were able to score as much as they did, because yeah, they were getting the ball sometimes at the other team's 40 yard line already, but, or you could just outscore, just pull Alabama and just, you're in these high scoring games when you have the better offense. So you just outscore the other team. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I think we've indicated that that something about Stevens' prediction will be related to the quarterback play for Ohio State. I just think Justin Fields is going to take it to another level. He's going to hit some more deep throws. You know, they're going to get some some easier easier ones that way with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I think that will give them a shot at 50 per game. Let's take a break here. We are going to come back with some more individual position predictions from our texters and from us here on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk, marking it down on Monday, as we always do. This is our outrageous predictions for the 2020 season and your outrageous predictions for the 2020 season. If you're not a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. Doug, should we mention now the, the special thing that our tech subscribers are getting? Is that oh public knowledge? Yeah, well. I know it's I, knowledge that our texters have. I don't know if it's something that we've teased out to everybody. I mean, I did, I did put a post on it about it on Cleveland.com uh, on Saturday. But uh, I actually need to tweet that out. We're going to keep reminding people about it. So here's the deal. We wrote an online book about the 2019 Ohio State football season. And we are releasing it starting Monday to tech subscribers. We're going to send people a link that they can go read a chapter. There are 13 chapters. There are chapters on Ryan Day, Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, and Justin Fields. There aren't chapters on like every single game because frankly, some of these games don't deserve their own chapter, but there are chunks of the season that we cover. We get into the Michigan game, of course, the Big Ten championship game up to the Clemson loss. And then we look ahead and it's um, it's like a nice look back. It's going to be a really good way to get people ready for the season because we'll have 13 chapters that we're going to basically unveil in the two weeks before this season starts. And you can relive last year. And I got I, some texters when I sent out and said, hey, texters, you're going to start getting this. And again, if you're not a texter, if you sign up for a 14-day free trial, you can trick us. You can sign up for the 14-day free trial, get the normal texts, read the online book for free, and then when your trial is over, quit and never give us a dime. And you get to read the whole book for free. Or see what you think of the text. Maybe stick around for $3.99 a month. So if you want to do that, send a text to 614-350-3315. It's really like the first really big bonus thing that we're giving texters in terms of exclusive content. And so it's a lot of the reporting that we did during the course of last year, and we sort of refined it and packaged it together. And it's just a great way to relive a great season. But what I was going to say is one texter said, you're like, I don't know if I want to relive that year. You know, it's like the Clemson loss. It was so painful. But it's really about laying the foundation of the Ryan Day era. And it's about like how good Chase Young was and how good J.K. Dobbins was and how good Justin Fields was. And you want to relive that. It's, there's not 
listen, Nathan, you wrote the, the chapter that is the Clemson chapter, right? That right. one's probably a little painful, but that's okay. But like the stuff up to that is not painful. It's like, it's a great thing to remember. And the first chapter is all about Ryan Day and how he got here and, and his life growing up and the decision that Gene Smith made to hire him and all these kind of, you know, how Ryan Day thinks about being a coach and his family life. There's a lot of good stuff about Ryan Day that applies, you know, right now. So I think, I think the people, I think you'll enjoy it if you read it. I don't think you're going to read it and like have a pit in your stomach the whole time. You know, maybe you don't want to read all 13 chapters because, you know, reading can be hard. I don't love to read sometimes. I like to, you know, I like to talk. So, um, but, but it's a great bonus thing. So if you're not a tech subscriber yet, now's a great time to try it. 614-350-3315. Send a text to that. You'll get a link to sign up. And if you are a tech subscriber, get ready. Start Monday, chapter one. So yeah, sign up for that. I hope you all enjoy it. We are going to move on to the 2020 season, our outrageous predictions. We're going to move over to defense for a bit, and then we're going to come back, circle back to offense, because I know uh, my prediction is on offense and Steven's prediction is on offense too, but a lot of our texters were coming through on defense, and I've been one of the people out there who has had some hesitation about this defense and feels like maybe it has some things to prove early in the season before you can 100% say that this is a team that's here to win a national championship and good to go. Um, and here are some individual predictions from the 3-3-0. My prediction is that Pete Werner will not only lead Ohio State in tackles, but lead the entire Big Ten in tackles and win Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Ten. He's going to stuff the stat sheet with a lot of tackles and a little of everything else. Sacks, TFLs, a few turnovers caused, some timely impact plays. He won't leave the field in 2020, and this means a lot of opportunities for him to make plays. I would argue he's the most underrated player on the Ohio State defense. There's no generational defensive talent in the Big Ten, and this opens the door for a linebacker who does everything well to win Defensive Player of the Year. Now, our Cleveland.com preseason poll, media poll, Micah Parsons from Penn State was unanimous pick for preseason defensive player of the year and he is not playing this year as one of our other textures already mentioned so the door is open for someone to win that cha that trophy would anybody else how about us like if, if who would our who would be the most likely person on ohio state's defense to win big 10 player of the year if we had big 10 defensive player of the year if we had to pick one now zach harrison yeah i, I don't want to burst the bubble of our bold tech subscriber um last year Malik Harrison led Ohio State in tackles. Do you want to know where he ranked in the Big Ten? 27th. Part of leading the league in tackles is like how your school counts tackles and also like how often your defense is on the field. Last year, the guy who led, I don't even, I'd never heard of this guy because again, I'm not paid to know other teams. Uh, Deli Harding, Deal Harding, he played for Illinois. Does anyone know who he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had 153 tackles last year. Malik Harrison had 75. So there is no way that Pete Werner is leading the Big Ten in tackles. And so the only way, and, and they're not going to give it to a DB no matter how good Sean Wade is because Sean Wade's not going to have 11 interceptions because they're not going to throw at him. So the only way that a Big Ten defensive, an Ohio State defensive player can win Big Ten defensive player of the year is by sacking the heck out of people, which has happened before, which is how Chase Young won it and how Joey Bosa won it, right? So that's possible. It's not going to be Pete Warner. Love the Pete Warner enthusiasm, but like just that specific thing, tackles are weird. And tackles are sort of like, tackles are in the eye of the beholder. And like 
Pete Werner would have to average like 13 tackles a game. I'm like, he's just not going to. From the 727, Zach Harrison is going to have more sacks than Young or Bosa did their sophomore years. Well, that would put him in contention, as you guys are both saying, for Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Is that So why do you think, Stephen, why do you think Zach Harrison would be the candidate? Um, he'd be the because of sacks. I don't, look, I don't know. He's ten sacks is a lot of sacks. Okay, that's what Chase Young had as a sophomore, and I don't think people understand how hard it is to get sacks, especially double digit sacks. I think Chase made it look unnecessarily easy the last two years. So, I don't know if I agree with he's going to have more sacks than Chase Young and Nick Bosa had as sophomores, but I do think he can put himself in a position where if he has seven or eight sacks in a year, that he can be Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. I, Nick I agree. Bosa eight and a half, Nick Bosa, eight and a half ta- sacks as a sophomore. Joey Bosa, 13 and a half sacks as a sophomore. I'm not trying to be a downer on like the outrageous predictions, but just some numbers. Well, okay. And, and here's the reason why. And, and there were many texters who I think forgot that they're playing an eight game regular season this year with some of the numbers that they were throwing around. So I guess just in your mind, kind of prorate some of these. Cause when they start okay. talking about some of the numbers that people are going to put up this year, they would be, um, historic in the history of college football, some of the numbers that people have thrown out okay. there for some of these guys. So to that point, Chase averaged 1.4 sacks per game his sophomore year. You said Nick was 8.5, Doug? Yes, 8.5 is up. 8.5 divided by 14. Nick averaged 0.6 sacks per game, and then 13 and a half divided by – that's a championship year, I'm assuming. Yes, 0.9. Okay. Yeah, that's 0.9. So I, <laughs> that's asking a lot. Sacks are hard. Sacks are hard. I mean, I think if if but I think if someone gets to like seven, eight sacks, I mean that's they're they're absolutely going to be. And if I had to pick somebody on Ohio State's team, I think I might say Tyreek Smith for the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't even know with Parsons out. I don't have the list in front of me of like who the other who the best defenders in the the Big Ten are, who the other leading candidates are there. But certainly with Micah Parsons out, that you know the door is kind of open there. From the 706, Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison are both all Big Ten and lead the most productive defensive line in terms of sacks in America. That would be, again, a, 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 quite a jump considering what they've lost, but that's why we call them outrageous predictions. Uh, from the 740, Tough Borland leads the team in interceptions. Another year removed from injury and improves his mobility to surprise Big Ten quarterbacks. I think we did a market down Monday picking the team leader in interceptions, and none of us picked Tough Borland. No, but at the same time, I mean, interception, some of that is just being in the right place at the right time. That's how he got the one last year. So, I mean, I'm not going to rule it out just because sometimes they can be lucky. Yeah, that's why that's a good pick because, like, something random like that could certainly happen. Yeah. Um, from uh, Rick from Georgia, the high state defense will not give up a play against the Big Ten this year of more than 25 yards. That would also be a pretty impressive performance from a defense. I'm sure they didn't even do that last year. Um, so for a defense to do that this year with, with what they've lost, I think would be, again, quite the outrageous prediction. And here's one that's – I don't know if this counts as an outrageous prediction, but I thought it was a good topic point for, for just a minute. But, Doug, you've, you've wondered aloud about this from our, our buddy Khaled in the A58. Kerry Combs shows weakness as a schemer as a first-year defensive coordinator. The Ed Warner great position coach but coordinator syndrome. I really hope I'm wrong about this one because I love Combs. But in, now that we've gotten closer to the season, normally we would maybe have – Maybe some better perspective on that, but because of this year, we still haven't seen anything. I don't know that I have a better perspective on whether that's likely to, to be a problem or not. I mean, it's one of those things. They didn't, they didn't make Kerry Combs a coordinator when he was here the first time around, which I think is part of why he left. 
And so to get him back, they had to. You know, Greg Madison is still around as a guy who has coordinated before. He's still got a co-coordinator tile, title. Um, so uh, I think that's a – nobody is saying that. But I think that – I mean, we can't pretend that hasn't happened before. And that that is – it's a big difference between being a great recruiter and being a great developer developer of talent in your position group and then all of a sudden scheming up and calling a defense – is is a huge adjustment and so i think it's a it's a very interesting point to make moving on to offense from our buddy Josh mustachio in the 614 ohio state will have a game with three three wide receivers over 100 yards that has never happened at the school is that true they never had 300 yard receivers in one game i that makes sense i mean yeah probably just because before Dwayne haskins they barely <laughs> they threw forward passes from them, what i'm right. told so um i'll try to and, and up, a lot, go ahead and a lot of a lot of individual predictions on on, on various receivers. One in particular uh, from the three three zero, and there was a couple other people who threw this guy out there. Jameson Williams will be the second coming of Michael Thomas. He'll finally be a significant part of the rotation. It'll make good use of it with seventy five receptions and nine hundred yards. And I will say that from the conversation that we did have with Hartline and with the receivers, I, I think a big season for Jameson Williams is within reach. I don't know about seventy five and nine hundred, especially for eight games. But I think a, a, a big productive season for Jameson Williams relative to what we might have expected from him is within reach. I think the second time coming of Michael Thomas means he doesn't get a chance to really show the numbers off until he gets to the NFL. But anyway, I, I, I don't think – look, I, we had a – I think we did an a, a episode once about could they have 2,000-yard receivers back when we thought they were going to have a normal schedule. Um, I don't think if, if he's if the two leading receivers on this team are going to be Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave in whatever order you want to put it in, maybe one leads in yards and the other one leads in receptions just because of where they are in the field. I think Jamison Williams is the quality number three guy within that starting unit, but he's going to be talented, but I don't think he's going to lead this team in either one of those two categories. So now, according our, to the Ohio State record book, they have not had uh, three receivers with 100 yards in the game. The last time they had – well, maybe they had it last year. They didn't have any last year. Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin did it in 2018. They, they, before two, they hadn't even had yeah. – yes, it's very hard to do here. I will say I don't, I don't think it's impossible that Jamison Williams winds up in the top two in yardage for this team. I, I don't think it's a – I don't think it's a 100% lock that Olave and Wilson – I mean, I think, I think Jamison Williams could be one of those guys who is like third in receptions but second in Every yardage. single game. And also, if you do it every single game, but everybody else is kind of jostling around, you're just the most consistent one. And and it's like maybe Garrett Wilson, you know, maybe Garrett Wilson has like five catches for 71 yards in the game, and Jamison Williams has like two catches for 83 yards. You know what I mean? That like he might have yeah. more yardage, not as many catches. But uh, I don't think that's – if anybody wants to wrap an outrageous prediction around a really good season from Jamison Williams, I'm here for it, however you want to phrase it. Uh, from the 513, Chris Olave will lead the nation in receiving touchdowns of 20 plus yards, and Garrett Wilson will lead the nation in yards after catch. Which of those two things is more likely to occur? The 20 plus yard touchdown catches, because that's just a certain amount of big plays in a season. I think it's going to be very hard because Ohio State is only playing eight regular season games and you know, nine, nine if you got it in the Big Ten Championship, and 11 total, it's going to be hard for anybody to lead something in yards just because of the, the amount of games they're playing in comparison to other teams. So what was it? It was lead the nation in 20-plus. Receiving, receiving touchdowns of 20 or more yards. Oh, receiving touchdowns. Okay. Right. Or Garrett Wilson will lead the nation in yards after catch. 
I'll tell you what, I think it's hard to find stats on yards after catch in college sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a hard one to track. I'm just looking at receptions of 20 yards or more, not touchdowns. So I don't know. I don't know how you find the the touchdown thing. But as a point of information, Jamar Chase led the nation in in receptions of 20 yards or more last year with 34. So that's a lot. Jeez. 34 and 14 games. So it's like you've got to have like two and a half a game of 20 yards or more, which is like a high-flying offense. So. And also, if you can have Joe Burrow throw to you, that sometimes helps. Although they will have Justin Fields. They will have them. Justin Fields. C.D. Lamb second last year from Oklahoma. So that's like, that is like a good – I mean, if you are that, right? Right. Um, you are a big-time, high-flying high receiver in a great offense with a great quarterback because I think like receptions of 20 yards or more is like a good defining thing of like a big play um that it's like it's not impossible it's not like 60 yards or more but it's like it's not easy to just run around and get a bunch of 20 yard plays every game so that's quite a that I love that category for Chris Olave and I'll be very curious by the end of the year to see how he stacks up with guys from Alabama and other places. And if you take out, obviously, I mean, the Clemson thing happened, but for the most part last season, he was a consistent deep threat and he showed that. But, and so this is kind of the next step for him is, you know, those guys are first round draft picks. And if Chris Olave is going to be that, maybe this is the step for him where he does need to have 25 or even 20, I'll say 20 plus because 25 plus is kind of 20 plus plays of where he's got 20 yard receptions. So just real quick, Jamar Chase, again, led the nation with 34 catches of 20 yards or more last year. How many do you think Olave had? Eight. 11. 14. Tied for 61st in the country. 14. So 14 is pretty good. That's, that's a long way from 34. And that is sometimes tied into also just the rotation that Ohio State has. He, you know, you're not getting as many snaps as some of those other guys do just even in the, the first three quarters of these games. So uh, let's move over to the guy who will be throwing them those passes, the, the pretty good quarterback we talked about in Justin Fields. There's a lot of predictions about him. Uh, from Evan in Oregon, the 614. Um, hey, team, my outrageous prediction is that an expedited name, image, and likeness rule is passed, leading to the first ever Wendy's vegan meal named the Just in Fields meal. A vegan patty crumbled over salad takes the Columbus fast food scene by storm. Would you eat that, Doug? I would eat it for a story, but I would not eat it for pleasure <laughs> or health. Steven, would you eat both. that? I'd eat it for both. Yeah. Have you guys had like an impossible burger or a. Yeah, I eat them all the, yeah, I've actually been on a kind of vegan thing the entire time we've been on this quarantine. Yeah, sure. Justin Fields goes oh, vegan. What a so then you had to go vegan. I've been doing this for. Yeah, I know. I've, he stole my thunder. I've been doing it for a while. It's not bad, actually. You got to find the stuff that works for you. The impossible burgers are not good. The vegan cheese is not good, but like meatballs and the vegan chicken tenders and stuff like that are good. I will say last year I bought Nike sneakers because I saw J.K. Dobbins wearing them. And I said, I want shoes like J.K. Dobbins. So if Steven is basing his nutritional decisions around Justin Fields, I understand it. I didn't even know he was vegan at the time. I think think Steven's dietary choices can make him more like Justin Fields than your footwear choices could ever make you like J.K. Dobbins. I, I went into the shoe store last year because it's like Nikes that are like have like blue and green and yellow, like a bunch of different colors on them. Mm-hmm. And I said to the the poor kid who was selling shoes, I said, are there a lot of like uh, 45-year-old guys in here buying these shoes? And he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would eat that. I would, I would eat it once. I would eat it just to find out what it is, just to say I had the Justin Fields meal, but um, I doubt I would have it twice. I would eat it. I would eat that once. Buckeye talk. <laughs> that, is, you, that is pretty much the crux of this. Did JK ever see you in the shoes? I think I walked up. I may have walked up to him at one point and said, hey, uh, uh, JK, uh, look, I got shoes like you. And he said, get away from me, old man. I think that interaction possibly happened. If, if, you, if, if you're under the delusion that these players pay any attention to, more attention to us than they have to, let me assure you, they do not care what we have on our feet. I That's still the last to... thing in the world that they're worried about when they're having to, to, to get through these interviews with us, especially, well, now, now they don't, now they never look at our feet because it's all on Zoom, but. I One still of the love the story the, of, of uh, Dwayne uh, Haskins wearing a friend's sweatshirt. Yep. <laughs> and me saying, who's your favorite friend? And him saying, would you please go away, you lame old white idiot? <laughs> hey, hey there, Dwayne. Are you a Chandler guy or a Joey guy? He's like, it's just a sweatshirt. Please stop. Hold on, that's defensible. Though. It's not just a sweatshirt. It's like a hugely popular show. It's not like... Yeah, but he was four when that show was popular. Maybe if, even if the, I think I was four, so he was probably like one when that show was popular. So he was just in the shop and he bought it. Uh, Plenty of real outrageous predictions regarding Justin Fields from the 502. Justin Fields still breaks 40 passing touchdowns, even in an eight game regular season. From the 267, Justin Fields will have no turnovers this season, no fumbles, no picks. Uh, from Smokey Mango in the 614, Justin Fields plays in every quarter this year. No more sitting the entire third or fourth out. He won't play the entire fourth in the blowouts, but Day is going to let Fields rack up the stats in the shortened season for the Heisman. Apologies to Rutgers in Maryland in advance. You thought he was coming out of the game at half, up 49 to nothing, but he's got another three Ds to be responsible for. And uh, in the 269, Justin Fields will be the leading rusher for Ohio State. More depth in the quarterback room combined with no J.K. Dobbins in backfield, I think, sets up for Justin Fields to run the ball more. And I think we've, that's something we've even talked about. And did, Doug, did, you might have even predicted him as the leading rusher for Ohio State this year yeah. when we had him. I think I did, and it's one of the more fascinating things that I'm very curious about to see how they use him there, to see both how they use Teague and Sermon and to see how they use Fields in the run game. Some, somebody else, one of our other outlets that covers Ohio State is doing – is kind of pulling – the, the beat writers to get predictions on various things. And I almost picked Justin Fields to lead them in rushing, but I, I bailed at the last second. I think I picked master Teague. So, or maybe I picked Trey Summers. Yeah. I don't remember. It could be anybody. <laughs> it could be just about anybody. Um, Steven, you have a prediction, an outrageous prediction about Justin Fields. I do. And it's, I think Justin Fields is going to lead the nation in, in touchdown passes this year. He was third last year and we have to put some things into account. He averaged 41 last year, which was pretty much three touchdowns per game. So through nine games, that's through the Big Ten Championship, that would have been 27, 27 touchdown passes. And through 11 games, which is if they would have won the national championship last year, it would have been 33. I think this year he'll average four touchdowns per game, passing touchdowns per game just because of a prolific passing attack. Uh, That's 36 through nine games, and that's 44 when they win the national championship game. And to – Compare him to some other guys who are already playing and are playing more games. Trevor Lawrence right now is on pace for 35 and 14 games. Mac Jones is on pace for 34 to 35 through 13 games. Kyle Trask is on a Joe Burrow-like pace up for 60 to 61 in 13 games. Obviously, that'll probably calm down out of everybody's just because he's, he's still got to play some other SEC teams who are pretty much better than that. But Sam Howe, 28 through 14 games, and Spencer Rattler, they're probably not going to make the playoffs, but just for the sake of saying it, 
he's on pace for 42, 43, and 13 games. So of the guys who are probably going to be in the playoff, and so they're going to play an extra two games, I think Justin Fields can be in a position to put to lead the nation in passing, passing touchdowns just because for a game at 11, that's 40-plus touchdowns. I'll try okay, to look at his chops to play some more SEC games. See what Ole Miss just did to Alabama? <laughs> that's – you're doing raw – Raw totals that by when we get to the end of the year and you click on the column for touchdown passes for the entire mm-hmm. 2020 season, the first name on that list will be Justin Fields. Yes. Regardless of the number of games played. And that's yeah. the thing too. That's why, I mean, sometimes it's fun to do some of this stuff and it's just, again, it's so hard this year as you said off the top, Nathan, but okay. So it's eight regular season games, but it's like, well, if you assume they're getting in the big 10 championship game, that's nine. And if they make the national championship game, that's 10, 11. So it's 11 games, right? It's, and if you're trying to predict stuff, it's like, well, you think they're going to play, you know, they're not going to only play eight games. And so, and we're not doing only a regular season prediction. I mean, the hard thing is, I mean, Sam Ellinger has 16 touchdowns. So it's like Justin Fields, yeah. by the time he takes his first snap is going to be like 16 Playing or eight up. touchdowns behind some of these guys. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, Nathan, Stephen, you did the math there. And, 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 you know, if he averages four a game, and that's what Joe Burrow averaged last year. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow threw 60 and 15 games. So if Justin Fields is on a Joe Burrow pace for a game, then he has a shot to do it, even though he's going to start so far behind. And to the point of some of our texters, he might play in all four quarters, even if it is just a series or two in games against Maryland or Rutgers, just for the sake of an eye test. But also – that's a lot of new receivers who didn't get a spring with Justin Fields. And so they need as many reps as possible to get used to him because there's only three, you've got to have six and there's only three guys who have any real experience catching passes from Justin. And really only two and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams probably has a few in practice, but not enough game. So. And I think a lot of this goes back, Nathan, you made the point of they're not going to have a defense that takes the ball away and gives up as many possessions early, but they might have a defense that sort of like doesn't stop people as much and extends the time that the offense has to stay in the game. Right. Which is, I think you've made that point before too. If sometimes if your defense is so good, it's like, well, we're ahead 50 to nothing. We have to take Justin Fields out in the middle of the third quarter. If it's 50 to 24, then maybe there's reason to stay in, right? So, I mean, I think, I think that the, how good the defense is or isn't can work both ways maybe for Justin Fields' numbers. Yeah, do you think this will be something that Ryan Day actually takes into account with play calling this year? Like, here's the example. In, like, goal line situations, will Ohio State be more likely to pass in short goal line situations than they were a year ago because those touchdown passes – actually have a value this year that they maybe didn't as much last year. Like you need to get him more touchdown passes. I think a touchdown pass is greater than a rushing touchdown when you're trying to win the Heisman. I think it depends on the game. Well, I mean, they're only going to play like two competitive games. So it's like, you mean, so yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, Uh, listen, he would never admit to it. Ryan day will never, I'm not saying whether you'd admit to it or not. I'm saying you think it's going to come into play. I like, and I think he would do it. And then like the very first time that instead of just handing it to master Teague at first on first and goal at the one, they do play action and like throw it to Jake Houseman and it is picked off. Clinks off his chest and falls into the hands of a mm-hmm. defender. Yeah. Like Ryan well, day will again. throw his headset into the empty crowd and be like, I am never doing that again. And like that <laughs> there is a balance. He wants, 
You know who wants Justin Fields to win the Heisman? Ryan Day does. Oh, yeah. He, wants, oh, yeah. he doesn't want Justin to win the, to the Heisman more than he wants Ohio State to win the national championship. But Ohio State winning the national championship and Justin Fields winning the Heisman is, is significantly better than only Ohio State winning the national championship. And it shouldn't take away from each other. They should go hand in hand. And, you know, it wasn't so long ago. And Patrick Mahomes, I think, got two last weekend. They were running jet sweeps. They were running JT Barrett jet sweeps where Patrick Mahomes is throwing a four-inch pass Mm -hmm. to Tyreek Hill that's basically a handoff and getting credited with a touchdown pass. And the NFL announcers were like, the Chiefs running trick plays. And I was like, brother, if you think the jet sweep is a trick play, (laughs) you have not been watching football. Paris Campbell took 70 yards against Michigan, and they had to go back and, like, clarify that that was a pass and not a handoff. I mean, JT Barrett had, I think, 10 of his touchdown passes one year was on jet sweeps. I don't know what the actual number is. So they're not going to run jet sweeps if they wouldn't normally run it, but there are ways to get your quarterback easy touchdown passes. And Nathan, I think you're right. I think they'll get him some easy touchdown passes. Let's talk about the guys who are going to get touchdown runs before we go to break. Uh, Jamie from Victoria, Canada. Uh, from the 250. Master Teague will lead the team in touchdowns this season. With his size, they will love his goal line running. They'll want to limit the amount of hits Fields takes, which will mean more TDs for the running backs. Sermon runs with his pads too high, which will limit his red zone effectiveness. Doug loves to talk about Tough the Neck Borland, which actually is Pete the Neck Werner. Uh, we can start calling him Master Dim Shoulders Teague. Actually, I think that's that's kind of that's an interesting one to go with. Um, from the 937, my outrageous prediction is uh, James. Oops. That was supposed to go under the receivers. That was more Jameson Williams love. Oh, and that Trey Sermon rushes for 1,500 yards in nine games in his first team All-Big Ten. So that's one where they did prorate it for the nine games, and that's still pretty lofty expectations for Mr. Sermon. They think he's going to run for 1,500 yards in nine games. In nine games. Okay, go ahead. I'll do some math. 166.7 per game. Where was J.K. at? 166. Last year, Chuba Hubbard – Led the nation at 161. J.K. was third at 143. I love the outrageousness of it. It's outrageous. Trey Sermon is not going to rush for 166 yards per game, but I like the outrageousness. Here's another one uh, from the 419. Master Teague will finish in the top 10 for Heisman voting. I think he will look like a completely different back now from how he left after Clemson, and Sermon will be a bit of an afterthought. From the 631, outrageous prediction is that Master Teague rushes for 1,500 and gets a New York invite. Steven, is Master Teague going to New York in 2020? <laughs> not going to New York. Justin is going to New York. What if they have all, a no, bad season all, go to the pinstripe bowl? First of all, nobody's going to New York. <laughs> first and foremost, nobody's going to New York. It's going to be a Zoom Heisman show. Second of all, oh, that's like, true. Uh, all of these seem to be based off the fact that nobody believes in the two-back system. Because if one's doing that one, they're not both. The other one's probably not going to have 900 yards or 1,000 yards if one of them's got 1,500. Do, will the two tailbacks combine for 240 rushing? <laughs> yeah. No, they will not. So, so it, yeah. From, from the 949, Teague and Sermon produced 3,500 yards from scrimmage combined. But I will say – that I think you're right, Stephen. I don't know if it's so much that they don't believe in the two-back system. I think what they believe is that one of these guys is so much better than the other one that he'll just step up and take the lion's share of the job for himself. Which is fascinating that, and there are people who think it on both sides, right? Yeah. That it's like one person thinks it's going to be all master and the other guy thinks it's all going to be Trey. And I think it, it could end up being right, right there in the middle. Like maybe I the two-back system does work and they just, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I think they combined for 1,500 yards. I don't I, – I, I'm, I'm catching the tone of my voice. We're asking you to be outrageous, and then we're like, well, that's not going to come true. <laughs> so I, I don't mean to do that. I love when people – I mean, you're putting yourself out on a limb, right? So, like, I love, I love all this stuff. The whole idea without outrageous – without uh, the whole idea of outrageous predictions is not to actually be right. It's to express something you think about the team in a concrete mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So when someone says, I think Master Teague is going to rush for 1,500 yards and be a Heisman finalist, the point is not for me to say, Master Teague's not going to be a Heisman finalist. You're saying you think Master Teague is going to be the lead back yeah. and be really good. Where you're just saying it in a more interesting way, because that's a more interesting conversation. That might be absolutely right. So if he runs for like 1,100 yards and is first team all Big Ten – that's basically the same as saying he's going to run for 1,500 and be a Heisman finalist because I don't think he's going to do that. And if you're planting your stake on that, good for you. So if you have made an outrageous prediction that Nathan has read and you've thought, why is Doug being a jerk? I'm just a jerk. It's nothing personal. We've all probably smirked a bit too much at this, and I think you're right. Although I will say also 1,100 yards and a bunch of touchdowns in an eight-game regular season, I mean – That might get you in the top ten. That might get you in the Heisman top ten. I mean, that's going to be a pretty good season. Travis Etienne is so good. He is. Like, yeah. I, I was thinking about this watching the Clemson game, trying to figure out like how the Clemson Heisman stuff is going to go. They asked like, Trevor. They what? Without listening to post game stuff that some of these teams will have, and somebody asked Trevor Lawrence right now if he would vote for himself or Travis Etienne for Heisman, and he said Travis. I mean, we saw it with last year with Ohio State had two Heisman finalists and J.K. was sixth, I think, right? I mean, like, it's mm-hmm. hard. It gets hard. It's hard, man. You start divvying up votes and stuff. But, but right now, if I had to predict, I mean, I, I, I would not at all be surprised if both Lawrence and ATN are Heisman finalists. And I don't think I would be surprised if Bama has two Heisman finalists with an oh. offense that's averaging 50 points a game. It's just that I don't know who it would be between – Najee yeah, Harris, Mac Jones, yeah. Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. You know, like, so it's hard when you start chopping up votes. We are going to come back with some more predictions, um, some more individual predictions, and then the predictions about uh, the big game at the end of the season. Uh, not the national championship, the other big game at the end of the regular season. We'll be back on Buckeye Talk. All right, some other players who had some outrageous predictions from our texters. From the 814, they will regularly rotate cornerback at least eight deep, and the running backs will be utilized like the Patriots almost, even Mayan Williams. So I guess that kind of goes back to the running back discussion, but that would be interesting to have like a, a running back room that's going like – a running back rotation, I should say, that's going like five, six guys deep, right? Because um, that's the way it's been with the Patriots for a long time. Even when they've had guys there who were like you know supposedly stud backs, Corey Dillon or whatever – Nobody ever – you never knew who was going to lead the Patriots in rushing from week to week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – again, that, that to me expresses a little lack of belief, right, that, that mm-hmm. maybe it's not quite Sermon, it's not quite Teague. Now you're getting down, well, we need Steel Chambers to help us out. We need Mayan Williams to help us out. That's – again, that's interesting, but that's expressing something about you can't love Master Teague and think they're going to go five deep in the running back room. So it's interesting. Which I think – helps Justin Fields' chances of leading his team in rushing. Because one, he's the only consistent rusher on the field, but also in a world where I think last year a lot of times where when they were reading stuff, if in doubt, just give it to JK. I think it's going to be when in doubt, keep it and go get yards yourself. So if they are going five deep, 
there's going to be a lot of winning doubt chances where he's just going to keep the ball and make the play. From the 262, outrageous prediction for the Buckeyes, Rowan McCullough will not have a mishandled snap in the punt game, kind of keeping the family tradition going there at, with the long snappers. From the 513, Blake Hobbill will break the 59-yard field goal record. Ooh, that's good. That's like specific. That. And that's one of those, again, where it's like, if Blake Hobbill's like tug it on Ryan Day's sleeve and saying like, hey, I can kick a 59-yarder <laughs> and I want to be in the record books. and Which like, was the run. Northwestern game. Almost, you know, they set yeah. that up for him because they, they were being aggressive with the idea of we're going to get Blake Hobbio a 50 yarder. And then he was good. It. He's a good kicker, man. Like, I, yep. I, I love that one. Uh, Sun card from the 302. We're going to skip to one other position group, and it's going to be the one that includes my bold prediction, my outrageous prediction. This is uh, we're talking about the tight ends from the 302. Bold prediction a tight end will have a 75 yard receiving game which is kind of sad that you have to consider that a bold prediction, but like just the way Ohio state uses its tight ends, 75 yards is a lot for Ohio state tight ends. Um, from the six one four from Kenny Stabler, Jeremy Ruckert will finish fourth in receptions. One Wilson, two Alave, three sermon for Ruckert. I thought that was interesting too, to put him that high, but again, that, that, that could, that would almost be more implausible than what I'm about to propose, but. I mean, the the uh, on the list of maybe we should do this as a as a podcast or as a post or something on the site. Like the things you're most curious about, I I can't I don't I can't wait to see what what Jeremy Ruckert does because we think it's all there. It's about opportunity. We talk about it all the time. This guy's a little different than some of the tight ends they've had in the past. It feels like it's there. And in terms of like a 75 yard game, Ruckert's like the kind of guy who like if you hit him over the middle on something, he might catch and you know have a 49 yarder with, you know, catches it 17 yards from the line of scrimmage and runs another 32. So that's, I think that's there. And when you, you know, the, the receivers are good, but a little bit unknown. I mean, maybe that's part of where the offense runs through a little bit more is through a guy like Jeremy Ruckert. A 75 yard game is not crazy for Jeremy Ruckert. It's just, the, where he gets the ball at because that's no different than what we were talking about Jameson Williams. that could be two catches yeah well, as long as we're we're talking about the the latest situation from the Jersey Shore I'm gonna give my outrageous prediction which is that Jeremy Ruckert ties for the Ohio State lead in touchdown receptions in 2020 he had four touchdown receptions on 14 total catches last season I think uh, Chris Olave led the team with 12 touchdown catches. K.J. Hill had 10. So let's say the passing volume for the whole offense goes up. Ruckert's level of play goes up. Ruckert's targets go up also because that passing volume goes up. So now he gets up to where maybe it's like seven touchdown catches for the season, which would still be kind of a lot in an eight-game regular season plus whatever's coming. But if you assume everything else is still getting spread around a lot, I think it's very reasonable for someone who has seven touchdowns leading a team in, in touchdown receptions this season. And I think I could see Ruckert getting there. The hard thing is, does the math add up where could you and Steven both be right? Like, but if, if Justin Fields is going to throw 44 touchdown passes in 11 games, could you, could you throw 44 touchdown passes and have the individual high for anybody be seven? Could you have like, seven different receivers with between like seven and four touchdown receptions. I'm not saying it's impossible, but we think, I think that's kind just, of, that's how it would play out. It would be like, so Ruckert and Olave both have seven and then Wilson have and Williams have six each. 
and then two other people have five, and then two other people have four. I mean, you can get to, you can get up into the forties pretty quickly that way. And listen, they are they're going to have a six man rotation at receiver. Mm-hmm. They're going to play two tight ends for sure, maybe three. Houseman will have at least a couple touchdown receptions. I mean, you could have th- you could have four people each have seven, so that's twenty eight right there. If you throw to the backs at all, right? I mean, like if you throw to Sermon and Teague at all, maybe you throw to Demario a little bit. I mean, like now we're talking about it's like twelve different guys. If you're actually throwing to like three backs, three tight ends, and six receivers, now you're spreading forty-four touchdown passes out among twelve people, and maybe maybe the high for any individual is seven. So that's not crazy because of what we talked about earlier about in some goal line situations they just throw the ball instead of handing it off, and they showed some twelve personnel stuff in the goal line. And that's maybe – record had two in the first game, and then he had two the rest of the season. One came to Big Ten Champ. But what if we just see more of that in the goal line? And because of that, Ruckert is able to get four or five in the goal line situation, and then he's just got two random ones where he's just on a route. He's the guy's open. And I think I, one, of, one of the things that really helps the idea of the tight end catching more touchdown passes and being more involved with the passing game is they felt like last year a lot they were keeping fields throws on the outside – throwing a lot of sideline routes, right? When you're a little more experienced, you're a little more comfortable throwing in the middle of the field. They're more comfortable calling stuff in the middle of the field. That opens up your tight end receptions. And you also don't have J.K. Dobbins on there as your short yardage, like just bell cow guy that you're that confident. And I'm not saying Master Teague and Trey Sermon are, are, aren't going to be able to get the job done there. But I think that also maybe opens up some short yardage situations there because I don't know, right? Maybe Ryan Day doesn't know this, uh, but I've watched a lot of football and I know you guys have too. If you ever run like a play action play at the goal line and then run the tight end out and throw it in, I saw this on next gen stats that's successful 107% of the time. It's never, ever not worked. Two point conversions, short yard, like goal line touchdown situations. It always works. I don't know why anybody runs anything but that play. I would like you to forward that stat to Jeremy Ruckert so that he can forward it to Ryan day. Yep. I think members of the Ruckett family may listen to this podcast occasionally. And if they want to bring that up and send it, I'm sure Ryan Day would love to get an email saying like, Hey coach, did you know about this? This is something you should look into. It's exactly the kind of thing he hopes his day is full of. Ryan, not sure if you listen to Buckeye talk, but here's something I heard. (laughs) 107% of the time. Doug, I believe you had a special message for our listeners before we move on to our uh, closing predictions. It's so special, it'll blow your mind. This is for people, if you have any questions about Medicare, and I know that that, it's like, why are they talking about this? Listen, like, this is like a- This is the best, this is the best segue in the history of talk. Ever. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) It's like, we're trying to, you know, paying the bills a little bit here, baby. It's, it's confusing. Like there's a lot about life that is confusing right now. And one of the most soothing people that you will ever meet is Terry Pluto. So what we're doing at Cleveland.com is there's going to be a Medicare guide webinar. Okay. So it's like, oh, you know, I don't want to go to Cleveland. You don't have to go to Cleveland. Everything in the world is on Zoom these days. So you can join Terry Pluto for a Medicare guide webinar on October 22nd. Okay, so put that in your calendar at 2 p.m. The webinar is presented by cleveland.com, by Medical Mutual, and it will help simplify the complex process of finding the right Medicare plan for your needs. Terry, together with our experts for Medical Mutual, Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging, and Discount Drug Mart, 
will guide you through the process and answer your most pressing questions. Go to cleveland.com's Facebook channel. So like, go to Facebook, put in cleveland.com, and then you'll find it. And then you click on the Medicare event on our Facebook page for cleveland.com. And there's more details there and how to register. Again, that's going to be on October 22nd at 2 p.m. with Terry Pluto. And if I had to make a list of things that I would be the most terrible at in the world, guiding people in a Medicare webinar would be at the top of the list. So thank God that you have Terry Pluto to help you with this and not me. So try it October 22nd. If you have any questions about this stuff, it can be a really valuable thing. Go to our Facebook page to find out more about it. Thank you, Doug. We are going to close with a round of outrageous predictions about the Michigan game. And we obviously, I hope you all heard Friday's retalkables about the 1968 Ohio State Michigan game. That was a lot of fun. I hope we get to do some more old timey games like that when we bring this back in the off season. Doug, you, you, you leaned you? up like you were going to say something. Yes, I can see you. Yeah. Go ahead. Can I tell you something? Yes. Not as popular, not as many listens. Hmm. And I just got a smart aleck tweet and I muted the person that, that like oh. they don't care about old timey games. So wow. I, I get it. I get it, but it's what we said when we did it. It's like, it's really interesting. And I understand that maybe you weren't alive, but I still think you would get something out of it. But don't be the smart aleck on Twitter who has to be like, the old stuff is stupid. I get it. I mean, I, I understand it. But a world existed before your birth, smart aleck pain in the butt who got muted on Twitter. So don't be like that guy. I'm not saying you have to listen to it. But I'm saying, don't be like, stuff in black and white is for losers. Because it's, it's really interesting, and we enjoyed it. But so, also, you, you learn something by watching those games. Like, when you watch that game, you, if you ever thought to yourself, like, oh, I wonder why they went to these offenses now that are so spread out and go sideline to sideline, even when they're running the ball. Like, why did that come about? It's because in 1968, everybody was playing in a phone booth, and – Defenses figured out how to shut that down, so they spread it out. And it, like, it, it gives you perspective on the game that's being played today. And I think that's not a thing to sneeze at. But the people who did – we got a lot of stuff from texters who did enjoy it, right, who yeah. already either already knew about it and were like, yeah, I mean, they're awesome. 68 Ohio State, that's awesome. Or maybe did were inspired to go back and check it out a little bit. So I'm not saying you have to do it. I mean, I get it. But, but if your answer is like, did Abraham Lincoln play for that team? Just, just keep it. Just cram it. We don't really, it. I mean, as a young guy, I enjoyed it. And I wasn't even thought of in 1968. But I thoroughly enjoyed the game. You know, it's, still, it's still football. It's not like we were, you know, it's football. It's not like the play from 1933 that was on Twitter that Nathan asked who is who in this play <laughs> where they like threw a medicine ball and hit somebody in the face. I don't even know what that <laughs> – what is that a real football play? That was a real why football throw, play. Why did he throw it like that? I, it's good fundamentals, Stephen. It's a two-hand bounce pass. <laughs> to the point, though, sometimes coaches will take stuff from like 90 years ago and use it, like the Chiefs did in the Super Bowl last year. If if people don't know what we're talking about, it's floating around there on Twitter. It's it's just a one run four-second football play from like 1933, and it's hilarious in every way. There's a lot going on in just that four seconds. Uh, but for this year's Michigan game, uh, Cole from Fort Laramie, Justin Fields will break the single-game passing yards record against Michigan, previously held by Haskins against Northwestern with 499 yards. I think Michigan's defense will force Ohio State to air it out because they will defend the run well, and Ryan Day wants to hang 100 on them, mark it there down. 
uh, from, nine, from the 909. The Michigan game will be the closest game in the regular season. I'm not going to say Michigan will win, but they will push the Buckeyes to the limit. Uh, Dave from Bristol, Pennsylvania. My outrageous prediction is that Ryan Day will be asked about the Harbaugh dust-up and the subsequent running 100 up on them so much in the week leading up to the game that he'll actually try and do it. He'll ever, how, have everyone wear 100 or bust T-shirts under their uniforms. In the end, he'll fall a little bit short at 81. Actual ice pellets will form between he and Harbaugh at the end of game handshake. Uh, from the 704, Ohio State will not drop 100 on TTUN, but late in the game after they are up 30-plus in the fourth quarter, they'll go, they will score and go for two and get it on a trick play, making the heads of TTUN explode all at once in anger. Uh, from the 419, the most outrageous thing that could happen to Ohio State would be a loss in the last regular season game. In this crazy 2020, nothing would seem more consistent than losing to TTUN. A freshman quarterback comes of age and a repeat of 1969 happens to stun the football world, a nightmare – uh, which will not be spoken of again. Uh, so I thought that was a great, like, it's the full circle, right? You go from, uh, or I guess not like half a circle, because you're starting off with like all the pessimistic COVID stuff and the people worried about what could happen. But then you go move forward, flash forward eight games into the future, and people are really excited about what Ohio State might be able to do to their rival this year. It would be a great ending to this season if we get to Ohio State, Michigan, and they're both good. Right, I'm here. If you want to give me a Justin Fields, Joe Milton shootout in the Ohio State Michigan game in December, like let's go. Seven and seven and Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and and I'm very interested. I our friend Dave Briggs at the Toledo Blade, I think, wrote a column this week just about like Harbaugh and his situation and his job status and that kind of thing. Would would that be the kind of thing that could be like make Michigan reevaluate? Like one of the textures said, eighty-one. If Ohio State actually scores 81 on Michigan, like if in the Ohio State-Michigan game, Ohio State wins like 81 to 10, and it's not just a loss, but it's like embarrassing, right? That it's like, and it feels like Michigan brought it on itself, you know, because of what Harbaugh allegedly said to Ryan Day and made Ohio State mad. And then Ohio State, like if, if Ohio State, not that they haven't embarrassed Michigan with the points they put up the last two years, but I wonder if that would be – could that be almost like a final straw of like, listen, man, what are we doing? Not only can we not beat our rival, now we're like antagonizing them and getting embarrassed. Like we're a joke now. Like that's – this is not it. I'd be very – you know, I don't think Ohio State's going to score 81. But I, I wonder if that – what's like what would be the line in the sand for Michigan to say, you know what, it's time for this to end. I wonder if that would maybe would be one of the things. I think right now it's <clears throat> simply put the last two years, Michigan just, just can't score enough points to keep up with Ohio State. But if they stop even scoring the 20-plus points they get a game, and, yeah, we get into a situation like that, yeah. Because then you're – look, it, it, it's probably – it's 10 times worse if we were living in a normal year and there were going to be fans in Ohio Stadium and it's an 81-10 to 10 game because – I mean, they might actually try to take down their goalposts again, which they haven't been able to do in almost in two decades. But yeah, that that creates a different type of dynamic. If you if this, if it all started with a, you know, as reported argument on a Zoom call, and that's what led to that. Especially now, I really in, in in that situation, I really would hope that Justin Fields would show up that week when we get to talk to him before the game in like a T-shirt over the Zoom call, and it's just got the 100 emoji on it. To just sort of set the tone. I think they should come to to uh, video to interviews that week with a like a screen print T-shirt of whatever the photo, whatever the video clip was that made Harbaugh mad in the first place. Like just a, of of yeah. 
Uh, I can't remember what Val Washington in the background of a video or whatever. That's what it should be. How petty is Justin Fields? Because I feel like Dwayne Haskins would do all of these things. We don't know about Justin yet. I don't, I don't think Justin's that, that petty. I don't think Justin's that petty. But I think he'd be clever about it. So Michigan has kind of talked at times in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if an Ohio State player wore like a shirt that said like 100 on it or something, I think Ryan Day would rip it off their body and throw it in the trash can and set it on fire. Yeah. Like the last – Ryan, they might talk about it all week. They might play, you know, this whatever Harbaugh allegedly said today or whatever, like on a loop in the facility. I I will be shocked if we get anything publicly from Ohio State other than, you know, hey, we respect our rival. We're trying to – we're just trying to win a game or whatever that okay. – that's – I mean, you, you want to set yourself up. I mean, they already did. It's already out there. You want to set yourself up for like a season to come crashing down around your head and the, and the, the streak to end – wear a shirt with a hundred on it <laughs> with a hundred on it. I mean, that's one of the dumbest things that Michigan has done in recent years, rather than just trying to win. And I don't, and I'm not talking about when guys get tricked or baited into like making a prediction. I still think that was crap, even though Ohio state used it as motivation, but like the revenge tour thing, which is what Michigan was actually doing. It's like, just get the revenge. Don't Khalid say you're going to get the shirt last year. The what? Khalid Hudson wearing the shirt of Greg Madison last year in warmups. Right. Like just get the win. But I, I just think that's, you know, I'll be, I'll be shocked if – well, I, I mean, Ryan Day is going to get asked about it, and I bet you he'll use it, but I bet you he won't say boo to us about it. From the 937, this was two outrageous predictions we're going to end on. DeMario becomes an All-American special teams player after he houses three returns in eight regular season games. I knew that would get you excited, Doug. Oh, I sat up. I sat and, up in my chair. And Ryan Day hangs the most points ever on Michigan. Buckeye scores 73 as three different OSU QBs throw touchdowns. I will say this. We've talked before about how Ohio State is going to maybe need to – they're not going to admit it, but maybe they do have to lean on some things to get Justin Fields' stats. And that may be hard to do and not look bad against Rutgers and Maryland and, and a big chunk of teams that they play in the middle of their schedule because there's a, there's a big chunk of nothing, and then there's the Michigan game. And so if they really need to load it up, I could see it happening against Michigan because that's also one of those kind of Heisman moment games too. If you come out and obliterate your rival, I don't care how much you've been dominating them. That's still a big game nationally. If you come out and really load it up against Michigan, right as you're going into the vote, I think that could mean something. And they're both good. If they're both seven and zero, and you do it, then yeah. Oh well, yeah. I mean, there. It's that's, not. That's <laughs> no brainer there. Yeah. So that's it. Those are our just predictions for the 2020 season. Thanks to everyone for joining us all along this journey through Market Down Monday. I think it was a successful one. I think we'll bring it back next offseason because it really helped us frame like what we were thinking about this team and what we expected about the next team, what you're expecting about the next team, and I uh, hope you guys all enjoyed it too. So thanks for joining us. We'll be back here tomorrow. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>